0: Okay, we are back in 2 Peter chapter 3, so we're, we're headed towards the end of 2 Peter, and we are in verses 8 and 9 today, just two verses, 8 and 9, uh, the title of the message today is God's Patience with Sinners, okay? God's Patience with Sinners, He is a patient God, Amen. I am so glad he is patient. I don't know if I've, I, know I've told most of you guys in here, but you know when I think of the patience of God, I I know at least three times in my life, pre-conversion, where I was um, just a, whatever phrase I'm trying to use, just as near death as you could get, and I am so thankful for God's patience. Because I was not ready, I was not ready. I thought I was. That's what makes it even worse. As I thought I was, but I wasn't. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and read. I'm going to go ahead and read verses one through nine. So, because we've been away from this book for two weeks, and it's really he's dealing with the same subject. So, I'm going to go back and read uh, verses one through seven, and then as as well as verse eight and nine. So, Second Peter three, starting verse one. He says this, "This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. <clears throat> know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we, we just approach Your Word today with... With reverence, God, understanding that it is that this is Your Word, this is Your Word. It, your Word is settled in the heavens, and so Father, we just come to declare it today, and we ask Father for Your Holy Spirit. I ask for Your Holy Spirit to help me to clearly communicate Your Word, and Lord, I ask for Your Holy Spirit to to clearly give Your people understanding. Lord, may may we all be encouraged and humbled today, and thankful today for your patience that you have, that you've had with us, and that you have with this world. So Father, we just give this time to you, in Christ's name, amen. So God's patience with sinners today. So just by a quick way of review, uh, we need to remember what Peter is doing here in verses 1 and 2 that we looked at last time, guys. And so, and I can't remember who's here. Oops. Can't remember who's here and who may not be here. But just by quick way of review, in verses one and two, he said he's he's wanting to stir these readers up to stir their minds up by way of reminder. And the context that he's wanting to remind them of of what is what the word of God says, what the scriptures have to say about the Lord's return. Okay, that's what he's fixing to deal with. That's what the mockers are coming and that's that's what they're mocking is the fact that Christ has not come back yet. So he wants to remind them of the promises in the scriptures. Again, because of verse 3, knowing first of all, like this is the a, a first priority. I want you to be reminded of what the word of God says. The word of God that was given to the to the holy men of of, of the Old Testament and even to the apostles that this is the word of God and and the Word of God is just full of promises that Christ is going to return. It's because He knows that these mockers are going to come and they're going to sow seeds of doubt in these believers' minds. And so that's, what, that's what's on Peter's mind. That, that the mockers are going to come and, and what's the doubt they're going to sow? where is the promise of His coming, right? In verse 4. Or where is the, where is the fulfillment of His coming that you're talking about? He still hasn't come. Can you hear the mocking in it? We hear it nowadays. Where's the promise of His coming? And so they're arguing. They're arguing there in verse 4 that all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So they're not even denying the creation, but they're, remember what they're forgetting? Conveniently, deliberately forgetting the most dramatic event of history? The worldwide flood. Which tells us what? that God will not tolerate sin. And so they're deliberately forgetting this. These men know the scriptures. These men were at some point had some kind of orthodox profession and were probably in a teaching role. But they were mockers, full of lust, full of greed. And so Peter's first argument in our in our the last time we met in verses 5 through 7 defending the Lord's return was to remind them again of the flood of the fact that he says it escapes their notice that's that they deliberately forget that by by the word of God the heavens existed long ago the earth was formed out of water remember and it was also destroyed by water and these markers conveniently forget that they deliberately forget that and what's his point he's saying in the same way that God promised to destroy the world back then and was patient. 120 years He was patient with Noah preaching. But it came, did it not? The judgment came. He destroyed it with water. But the next time, He said it's going to be reserved for fire. So He's encouraging these believers. He's reminding them of what the Scripture says, guys. And you and I, guys, we know that, right? If you want to be encouraged, okay, truly encouraged, we're going to get it from the Word of God. So, yes, we can encourage one another with kindness, but ultimately, our, our, our encouragement that's going to carry us to the end is what the truth of the Word of God says. Amen? So that's what Peter's doing here. So now in verses 8 and 9, he's really going to continue his argument here, or, or with a different argument. In verses 8 and 9, he gives two more arguments to his readers to counter these lies of the mockers. In verse 8, Peter is showing these believers that the apparent, okay, I use that word apparent, the apparent failure of the Lord to return a second time should not weaken their faith in the least. That's what he's wanting them to know. That that just because Christ hasn't returned, don't let it weaken your faith. Don't let it bring confusion or doubt to you that these mockers are trying to do. And in verse 9, Peter will remind them, and obviously reminding us, That God is not slow in fulfilling His promise. The Word of God promises that Jesus Christ will come back. Does it not? Time and time again. It is appointed. It is fixed. And it will not change. So let's let's look at the text today. Verses 8 and 9. You have your bulletin. If You have your outline. The truth I want you to consider today is this. You and I must trust. Okay? We must trust. Trust the eternal God of creation and his patience should humble us. Okay? That's really what we see in this these two verses here. That we need to trust our eternal God, and we need and it should humble us that He is so patient, that He's been patient with us, and He's patient with sinners. So point number one, we're gonna look at in verse 8, we're gonna look at His eternality, His eternality, the fact that God is eternal. That God is eternal, right? What's the question? Who made God? And they think they stump you by asking that question. Nobody made God. Listen to what Paul Washer says about the eternality of God. The eternality of God does not just mean that He always existed and will exist for an infinite number of years, it further indicates that He is timeless and ageless, always existing and never changing. He says this: "No person or created thing shares this attribute with him." Okay? We're going to come back to that. No person or created thing shares this attribute with him. There are attributes that we share with God, communicable attributes like God is loving. And so obviously we don't share them in the same way in, in the perfection that He does, but there are certain attributes that God has that we share. God is loving. God is forgiving. We are able to be loving. We are able to be forgiving. But we're not eternal. Meaning, there, there was a point in time where we were created. And so, so no person or no created thing shares this attribute with Him. We are for a moment, but God is forever. He made us. Okay, He made us, but no one made Him. That's pretty simple to understand. Some people don't want to accept it, but it's easy to understand. Our earthly existence, Paul Washer says, passes away like sand through an hourglass, but He remains. He was God, is God, and will be forever. I saw a meme on... This literally just came to my mind on Facebook. I've seen it a few times with uh, Stephen Hawking. And it gave the date where he said, There is no God. And then the day of his death, God says, there is no Stephen Hawking. And that's a reality, folks. That's a reality. As far as in this world, now we know if he continued in his foolishness, obviously he still exists somewhere, and, and he knows all about God now. But that's the way it is, right? The Word of God, God Himself, He lives forever, but man, they fade, we fade away like the leaf, like the grass, So the eternality of God, beloved, this is precisely, I believe in verse 8, what Peter wants his dear friends, your your version may say dear friends or beloved, what he wants these believers to remember, not to forget who their God is. There's a reason that we do studies like the attributes of God, guys. We don't ever need to forget who our God is. He uses that phrase in verse 8. He says, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Does that that phrase ring a bell? He just used it in verse 5. But look how he used it in verse 5. He's talking about the mockers. He said, when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. And that phrase is, they deliberately forget the flood. Okay, so what is Peter saying here? Don't you forget, beloved. Don't you forget... Don't let it escape your notice that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Don't forget. Don't forget, guys, that there's a difference between you and I and the God of heaven. Okay. Don't forget how different we are than Him. That was one of the, that was one of the indictments that the Lord brought on Israel. You thought I was just like you. But like Blake was telling us last night, God is Holy. Is he not? He is holy. That's what this language is. We don't see the, we don't necessarily see the word holy, but that's what Peter's getting at. Don't forget who God is. The psalm that we read earlier, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. We must not forget who our God is. Listen to Isaiah 57, verse 15. Now here we do see that, that, that language used. His holiness. For thus says the High and Lofty One. And this is the, the New King James. I love this phrase here that the New King James has in there that the NAS doesn't. He says, for, for thus says the High and Lofty One who inhabits eternity. Isn't that beautiful? Our God inhabits eternity whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. Beloved, you and I should approach our God with reverential fear. That's what Peter's reminding these believers. Don't don't let it escape your notice. Don't forget who He is. We should be in awe of our God. We should never, ever even contemplate the thought of, of demanding that our eternal God be on our time schedule. That's the point. Don't let it escape your notice that with the Lord, a thousand years is the same as a day. Okay, let's not make the mistake that he's saying a day is a thousand years, so we can do the math. and No. He could as well just have said that, that, that he could have just easily said that with the Lord, one second is like a trillion years. That's the point he's making. And we don't need to forget this. Beloved, what man regards as a long time is literally no different than a day or a second or an iota of a second with God. That's the point he's making. He dwells outside of time, and so from God's perspective, his coming is imminent. From God's perspective, it's imminent. That means it's it's near, it's close at any moment. Because again, a blink of an eye with God is no different than the history of the world, the last six to 10,000 years. It's no different with them. The day of the Lord will come as irrevocably as the flood. Right? God promised the flood. God was patient with that generation and warned that generation for 120 years. We think about 120 years, guys. How old are you? Even some of our oldest. None of us have approached 120 years. That's a long time. To us. You think about the patience of God. That's, that's literally like almost three of my lifetimes that God had a man warning that generation. He was patient. But we know that it came. His judgment came. Just as God said it would. And so will be the return of Christ. Maybe another 120 years. Maybe another 1200 years. Maybe another 120 days. So beloved, you and I need you and I need not only to approach God with reverential fear and humility, but we need to trust him, okay? Trust him. Don't let mockers discourage you. You should pity mockers. You should pray for mockers. You should warn mockers that the Lord is coming and that the day of their death is coming, probably before the Lord comes. But we need to trust him, guys. Trust His character and trust His promises. Okay? So that's what we see in verse 8. His eternality. He's not like us. He's holy. He's separate from His creation. And we should never ever try to hold Him on some kind of uh, timetable that we have in our minds. So secondly, we see His patience. Really the point of this passage, I believe, is that God is patient. Okay? God is patient. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow about His promise. What promise is He He referring to? Obviously, the same promise that Peter states in verse 4, the mockers, where is the promise of His coming. The Lord is not slow about His promise, the promise of His coming back to this earth physically to judge and to rescue His people. Unfortunately, guys, I know you and I, you you guys, all of us can can identify with this, that we fall short in keeping promises many times. Do we not? Just because we're not perfect, we fall short, um, you know, I think of raising kids. You, you 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 make promises to kids, or literally, you don't even have to make promises. You just tell them you're going to do something, and they think they're just infinite promises that can never be broken. When when in the reality, we we break our promises just through our plans changing, through life circumstances, we break promises. You know, when you think of of of, of, of them, maybe. Promising to be at their game, or, or, or their dance recital, or a birthday party, or plans to go to the zoo. It could be an infinite number of things, and, and plans change. And you gotta, you got you to gotta just sadly say, I'm sorry. Um, you know, or maybe, <laughs> maybe you just forgot. You just forgot, but there's, there's, there's myriads of reasons why we fail in making promises, or fulfilling that our promises because we're not perfect like God. Or maybe we just promised something and we didn't have the ability to carry it out like we thought we did. There's a myriad of reasons. Or maybe, hopefully, this wouldn't describe us as Christians, but maybe we even lied. <laughs> we promised something to somebody knowing we weren't going to do it. We've all probably been guilty of that in our life. But you see how it's so easy for us not to fulfill our promises for a myriad of reasons that we, that we can't even control. But beloved, God's not like that. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. The sum here uh, could be the mockers. Some commentator said when when it says, "As the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness," it could be those could be the mockers. You know, since they're they're mocking His time hasn't come, so He's not going to. Or it could be weak believers. I think it's probably a combination of both: weak believers under that were enduring suffering and being influenced by the mockers, and as a result, they're just becoming impatient for the Lord to return. When's He going to return? But the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness. So what's going on? What's going on here? Did God change His purpose? Or His appointed time? No, of course not. So before we look at the next phrase, guys, which we're going to be for several moments, we must remember a truth that Paul shared in Acts 17.31 when He was preaching in Greece and He said this, He has fixed a day. You guys remember this. He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. He has fixed. He has appointed a day. The day of judgment. That means, guys, He has decreed it. it. It's going to happen. In God's eyes, it's already happened. Okay? Because the, the past or the future is no different than the past. It hasn't been carried out in time yet, but he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness through a man in whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. That day is decreed. It's fixed. So no. No, God didn't change his purpose. God hasn't changed his plans. We, we must understand that. But it says, He is patient toward you. Patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Okay, we're gonna look at this. We're gonna look at this the second part of verse 9, I guess you could say exegetically for a few moments. First of all, we're going to do that. Try to dig into the passage and see what it means, okay? Because this is a this is a controversial passage. This is probably the number one passage in the Bible where those who would not agree with what our church holds to as the doctrines of grace, God's unconditional election, they would say, see, here, God's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But let's dig into it and see what it means. And then we'll answer the... So what? So so how does it apply to us? Okay? That's always the most important thing when when you're you're preaching a sermon is you want to give the meaning, but then so what? How does it apply? So the first thing we're going to look at here in just a moment is who is the you? The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Who is the you? Who is the any? Not wishing for any to perish. And who is the all? But for all to come to repentance. That we're, that's what, one of the things we're going to answer as we look at this. I want to start off by giving you an illustration. We will actually come back to this. I was hoping uh, Miss Rachel would be in here, our school teacher. Not in here? Okay. Well, we can uh, still give the illustration. When you think about a school teacher, guys, I'll just use that as an example. We could use a myriad of examples. But think of the school teacher. Think of Rachel teaching the class, right? She's got her students and she says, are we all here? Are we all here? Is everyone here? Right? That stuff's said on a regular basis. Who do you think she's referring to? Do you think there's a context to the statement? Are we all here? Is everyone here? Do you think Rachel is asking her high school class now, is everyone in the world in our classroom today? Are all those... Who have been born, or all those 8 billion people who are alive now in our classroom? Of course not. That's silly, right? We see that. The all is referring to a certain group. The all is referring to a certain group. Okay, I'm going to say that multiple times today. The all is referring to a certain group. In this case, it's all those in the class. Or all those in this, members of this class in here. So the word all is used many times. Before we before we dig in to the actual verse here in just a moment, I want to I want to talk about the will of God real quickly, okay? The will of God. That word, the NAS, if you have the NAS or ESV, I think it uses the word wish. God is not wishing. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I believe the New King James will say will. He's not willing. I think that's a better word for this text. The word wish, it has two meanings. It, could, it, it it means to will deliberately or to have a purpose to will deliberately or have a purpose or it means a willing as an affection or a desire okay so there's two different meanings and so let's let's uh, real quickly talk about three different aspects of God's will and i think it'll help us understand it as we go through this first of all god has a sovereign will of decree Okay, A sovereign will of decree. Or we could call it His secret will. His secret will. In other words, whatever God decrees, He brings to pass. The text we just looked at. God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. That's His his secret will in the sense that only He knows when that's going to happen. It's already been willed. It's been decreed. It's going to happen. It will happen in a given point in time. In history. Listen to Isaiah 46.10. The prophet Isaiah says this, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That's given us an insight up to the secret will of God. In other words, it's what He decrees. From before eternity. What He decrees will come to pass. That's, that's what we would call the secret will. These are just names that men have given this to help us understand this. The secret will of God. Deuteronomy 29.29 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What do you think would one of the secret things would be that belong to the Lord our God? How about the doctrine of election? God has an elect people. We don't know who those people are, but God does. That's part of God's secret will. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Secondly, He has a, what would we would call a revealed will. Very, very simple. His will revealed in His law and His commandments. Now people can and do break His revealed will. They break His commandments. They have the power to break them, but not the right to break them. Men are under obligation to obey them and will face judgment for not doing so. That's the second part of Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's His secret will. His will of decree. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. Right? God has given us His Word. His commandments that are easy, they're revealed to us. And we are to obey them. That's His revealed will. Thirdly, He has a desired will okay his in other words his attitude ezekiel 33:11 i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way turn from his way and live this is his desired will or his will of disposition this is like the parent beloved if you've raised kids i don't know any good parent that takes pleasure in bringing Punishment to his child, but we have a moral obligation to do so. God does not like take. Well, the text says it. He does not take pleasure. He does not get a, get kicks out of condemning sinners to hell. But his holiness and his justice demands it. Do you see that? That's his. That's his desired will. Again. I think the best illustration is like the parent. When you're having to, when you're having to give your children severe consequences, it doesn't, it doesn't bring joy and pleasure to the parent. But we have an obligation, a moral obligation to do so. And so some believe this desired will, this third will, some believe that this is what's going on in 2 Peter 3.9. That it's just the desired will of God, similar to Ezekiel 33.11. Now, there are some Reformed men who believe that. It could be. But I think when we look at the, when, when we look at the words, the, 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 the words you, the words any, and all, and dig into what it means, I don't think it can mean that. I don't think it's consistent when you, when you look at it exegetically. And that's what we're going to do. Who is the you? Who is the any? Who is the all? So what we're going to do, we're going to look at the context of this chapter, the context of Peter's this letter and even his first letter because it's written to the same group of people and then the context of the Bible as a whole. And I think when we bring it together, guys, I think we'll be able to see who he's talking about and what it means. Okay? So who is the uh, who is the you? Who is the any? Who is the all? The letter is addressed. Okay? The letter is addressed. If you look at uh, chapter 1, verses 1-4, through four, we can start to see this. I want you to see the consistency, guys. Now, we're still in this actual letter here, so we're going to go a little context. In chapter 1, verses 1-4, through four, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith. Did you see that? Who's he writing to? To those who have received a faith. These are believers, right? This is the people of God. Those who have received a faith, the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God our Savior, uh, grace, and multi- grace and peace be multiplied to you. You see that? To you. To who? Those who have received the faith. Those who have been justified. Christians, the people of God. Seeing that His divine power, verse 3, has been granted to us, everything pertaining to life and godliness, um, called us, but he's talking about the people of God. Verse 4, for by these He is granted to us so he's talking to you, the people of God. He's even he's even using the, the word us. By these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you, right? You, the people of God, you who have received the faith, you who have been saved, you who have been justified, you have become partakers of the divine nature. So we see that in verses one through four. That he's writing to believers. Very clear. Do you guys see that? No, I want to see your heads nod. Okay. Verse, or chapter 2, verses 1-3, through three. we can see it continue. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be also false teachers among who? Among you. Among the people of God. Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Verse 2, many will follow their sensuality. Uh, actually, I'm going down to verse 3. And in their greed they will exploit who? You. Who's being exploited? You, the people of God. Believers. Those who have been called out of darkness in in, in verse 3 in chapter 1. You can go back to to the first letter, guys. Again, He's writing to the same people. He even calls them the elect. The chosen. He is writing to the people of God, the elect, you who have received the faith. It's consistent. Chapter 3, verse 2. This is now, beloved, the second letter. I'm writing to who? To you. The you hasn't changed. It's the people of God. It's God's elect. It's those who have received a faith just like we have the apostles. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is now Beloved. The second letter I'm writing to you. Or did I already read that one? Uh, yeah, no. But so, so we see the, the Beloved is the same as the You. That's the point I was making there. But he's writing to the Beloved. To you. The people of God. The You is a certain group. Amen? It is a certain group. So therefore, are we? it's in verse 8 in our text today. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Your notice. Beloved. It's the same you. It's the beloved. It's the people of God. So we see it from chapter 1 all the way to where we're at. So therefore, in verse 9, the you is the same you. The you hasn't changed. The you with whom the Lord is patient are the same beloved ones that He wants to bring to repentance. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to further explain as we go, guys. So who are the all? Who are the all? The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. The you is the same you that has been from chapter 1. The people of God. We must remember, guys, when God is talking about His elect. Some of His elect have not been called yet. God is patient toward you, the people of God who have not been called, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But He's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The mockers are, the, the mockers are they, but His audience is, is you and the beloved. But doesn't all, to answer that question, doesn't all always mean everyone? Again, context. Context. A teacher in a classroom. To go back to our illustration. Are we all here? Is everyone here? It's not are all people in the world here. There's a context to the all. There's a context to the everyone. And there's always a context when this is used. It's always in a certain group. So in 2 Peter, it's not all on the planet... Or is it, is it all on the planet, or is it within a certain group? That's what we want to answer. Is it all on the planet, or is it within a certain group? The context that, that any and all, the context is that any and all, it's, it's limited to the elect. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to look a little bit more about what the Bible shares, the context of, the, of other scriptures, and we're going to pull it in, and I think it's going to be as clear as a bell. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I'm trying to move fast. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. You know what we see a we see a group right there using the word "all all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. Do you guys see that? Do you see the clarity in that? You can I would encourage you, maybe sometime this evening, to, to just read through John chapter 17. It's really short. It's his high priestly prayer to his father. You're going to see him talking about this group of people that the Father gave him before the foundation of the world. It's beautiful. And it helps connect all of this. But we see, we see that there's a there's a group. That the Father has given the Son that will come to Him and will not perish. Very clear in that Scripture. Now, you don't have to turn here for a second time, but Acts 13, verse 48. I want you to see, this. this it's the same truth being said from different angles, maybe with a little bit different language. Acts 13, 48, Paul and Barnabas were preaching the Gospel to the Gentiles, and it says this, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. You hear that? There is a certain amount of people that were appointed. That, mean, that means an eternity past. They were appointed to eternal life, and when they heard the Word of Truth, at a given point in time, they believed. That's when God called them to Himself. All of this is important as we tie this together. So God is patient. Back in 2 Peter, God is patient. And waiting, what we see in, 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 in 2 Peter 3.9 is that God is patient and that He is waiting on His elect to come to repentance. Okay? That's what's going on in this verse. They will repent and believe. They will come. This is the same group. That Jesus is talking about in John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me, they will come to me. And when they come to me, they will not perish. I will raise them up on the last day. This group, they have been chosen by God. Peter says in his first letter, he's writing to those who are chosen. They've been chosen by God. So that this in 2 Peter 3.9, these, these ones that the Lord is being patient and, and, and waiting... And it says that He's he's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. These are the ones that have been chosen by God, but have not yet been called by God. There is a a sequence. In chapter 1, verse 3, we see that calling. Having the true knowledge of Him who called us. Do you guys remember what the calling is? That's when God's elect at a given certain point in time, he calls us out of darkness to himself. Nobody can come to the Father unless what? Or nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. This is that effectual call. So these ones in, in 2 Peter 2.9, that he's not willing for them to perish, but to come to repentance, that's, a, that's these elect chosen people of God who have not, who have not come to repentance yet. Matthew 121, Jesus says this. Or the angel says this about Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. Do you hear that? That's a promise, guys. You shall call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. Who are His people? The group of people that the Father gave to the Son. That's that's what Jesus is referring to. I, I encourage you, go back and read John 17, those whom You gave Me. That's who His people are. But they're not born Christians. They're called at a certain point in time. They're called out of darkness, into light. So who are His people? It's the group of people that the Father gave to the Son in eternity past. Those whom Christ came to lay down His life for, which He calls His sheep in John 10. He said, I came to lay down My life for For my sheep, and whom the Spirit applies the work of redemption to their lives by the power of regeneration. They're called out of darkness. They come to the shepherd who died for them, purchasing their salvation. They are repenting, they are now repenting of their sin and trusting Christ alone for their salvation. And we know that even their faith is a gift of God in chapter 1, verse 1. Beloved, beloved, I think when we connect all of these texts, okay, the, the, the group that God gave to the Son before the foundation of the world, the ones He says will come to Him. They will come and they will not perish. That's a promise. And I think that's what's being said right here in, in chapter 3 verse 9. I think if you could sum this up. This is what verse 9 is saying. When we look at the whole of scripture, when we look at the who the you are, who the any are, who the all are. When we look at other texts of scripture. It's God's will, okay? It is God's sovereign will of decree that all all that the father gave to Christ Will come to him. They, that same group of people, they will repent and none of them will perish. He will not cast them out. These are all texts that we've seen saying the exact same thing, but He will raise them up on the last day. Is that not what Peter's saying here? The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing for, for any of you, any of God's people, any of the elect who have not been called. He's not, he is patient waiting on His people. He's not wishing, not willing for any of them to perish, but for all of them or all of you to come. I hope you can see that. That's, that's, that's saying a lot to, to, to make that point that this is not talking about a universal salvation. I don't even believe this is talking about God's desired will. But I think it's the same language that Jesus is saying. All that the Father gives me, they will come. They will repent and they will not perish. Why? Because that's my Father's will. In John 17 it even says, I came down to do His will and His wills that none of them perish. It's all connected. So I think actually verse 9 is a verse that is a beautiful, de, a beautiful description of God's sovereign election in all actuality because He's not willing. He's decreed that none of His sheep will perish. None of them will perish. They will all come to Him and they will all receive eternal life. It's said multiple different times in different ways through the text. And so I'm just going to read that one more time and we'll move on to the so what of this. It's God's will that all that the Father gave to Christ will come to Him. They will repent and none of them will perish. He will not cast them out, but He will raise them up on the last day. And we say, Amen. 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 <clears throat> so what do you and I need to see in this? Or what can we see in this? Above anything, more than anything else, guys, what we see in this text is God's patience. That God is a patient God. Back to the statement in the first part of verse 9, the Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness. No, He's not slow. He's not impotent. He's not weak. He's not forgetful like we are. But He is patient. Why has Christ not come back? Because He's patient. He is a patient God. He's not slow. That means He's not delayed. He's not late. It literally means He's not lollygagging or taking His dear sweet time. But He's patient about His promise. God is working out everything according to His perfect plan and schedule beloved. He's working out everything according to His perfect plan or schedule. He's not powerless. He's not weak. He's not indifferent. He is simply patient with sinners. That's what we know. And I believe that this is referred to the secret will of God's decree. And this is what we need to remember about that, guys. We clearly see it. That there is a group of people that God the Father gave to the Son before the foundation of the world. That's who he means. The angel means he will save his people from their sins. The group that God the Father gave him. He will save them at a given point in time. But we don't know who those people are. We don't know who they are. That's not the revealed will of God. That's the secret will of God. The reveal, what's the revealed will of God? We'll look at that thirdly in our response to close. What should your response be to all this, right? We don't want to just... This is not like a lecture, okay? And we're trying to argue doctrine. No, I believe that's clearly what it's saying. That this is God's secret will of decree. But what should our response be to this text? If you're a Christian, beloved, because we don't know who the, the elect of God are, First of all, we should proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation. Amen? It's really not that complicated. I don't have to know who God's elect is. I don't know who God's elect any more than anybody else does. That's none of our business. So we preach the Gospel to the world. And we let God do the saving. If you're a Christian, this patience of God should humble you. It should humble you. That he was patient with you. Do we forget what we deserve because of our sin? We deserve the devil's hells, what we deserve. But God is patient. Every single one of us in here, God is patient. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, God is patient and has been patient because you're breathing. You're breathing. He's patient. It should motivate you to preach the gospel. It should motivate you to pray for sinners. To pray for sinners to come to Christ. Guys, we are His means of accomplishing this. Is that not amazing? We are His means. God is patient. The Lord Jesus Christ has not come back. We know for a fact right here in this verse. Why? Because He's patient. He's patient. If you're not a Christian, what should your response be? It should humble you. That He's being patient with you. You see, the Bible says the soul who sins it shall die. Why haven't you died if you're not a believer? Why haven't you died? Why haven't you died a first physical death and a, and, and experience the second death in hell because God is patient. That's why. Paul says in Romans 2.4, do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance? Have, you ever, have, have we ever thought of not only how kind and merciful He is, but how tolerant He is of sinners? He's tolerated you. We deserve to be cast upon the eternal trash heap of hell. That's what we deserve. And that's what hell is. But he's tolerant. He's kind. He's patient. Do you, not, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? And tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to Repentance. Oh, when we think about how kind God is. He is so kind to sinners. You notice in in, in Romans 2 that Paul doesn't get into an election debate with these people. No, he just says, God is patient with you, you hypocritical Jews. His revealed will for you today if you do not know Jesus Christ is to repent and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is His revealed will. Like Moses said to us and our children, His will is revealed. Why? That we may do all the words of this law. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ while He's given you time. He is patient with you. What is keeping you from coming to this dear Christ who has paid for sin? What could possibly keep you from coming to Him? He is an all-sufficient Savior. He paid the debt in full. It is finished. He rose from the dead on the third day. What is keeping you from Him? Come to Him. And we know this, beloved, in closing. We know. We know. Why hasn't Christ come back, guys? Why hasn't Christ come back? You know how I deal with this text on the streets? I don't try to explain all of the secret decrees of God. You know what I tell people? The Lord is patient with you. Why has Jesus Christ not come back? Because He's patient with you, Mr. Mocker. With you, the one with your middle finger up. He's patient with you. He's patient with you to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the message to the world. That's the truth of this Scripture, guys. Don't feel bad about giving a simple truth of that Scripture that Jesus Christ is patient with sinners. That's the meaning of the text. He is patient with sinners because we don't know who the elect are. He is patient with sinners. His arms are stretched wide open right now. And with one hand, He's motioning you to come. And with the other hand, as Paul Washer says, He is holding back the wrath of God. And one day He's going to drop both hands and and the time to come is going to be over so so come to his come to his son today repent and believe in this Christ will you do that today will you do that today if you do not know him if you hear this message and you're not here come to him today wherever you're at how many stories have I heard of a of a of a guy who it reminds me of a story, and I'm going to close with this, guys. A guy many, many years ago who I witnessed with in Bricktown, he told a story of him and his pastor sharing the gospel with a guy, and the guy was just irate and spit in his pastor's face. Big guy. On the, on the verge of violence, spit in his face, cussed him out. Didn't want nothing to do with this Christ. He said about a year later they're in the same area and the same man walks up to him. He's kind of hovering as they're talking to other people. He said, This guy he was a big old bearded guy. He he was a truck driver. And he said, I wanted to find you men and apologize. I was in my truck and I heard a man called R.C. Sproul telling me the same truth you were telling me that day. That this Savior died for me. And I came in, I pulled my truck over, and I yielded my life to Him. You think this man had any idea who God's elect are? Guys, don't let this get in the way of the simple gospel to sinners. God's secret will is his secret will but his revealed will is that he's patient. And so maybe maybe somebody would hear this message who's not even here. God can do mighty things and and come to this come to the one who promised that if you come to him he'll never cast you out. He'll never turn away a sinner who comes to him in faith and repentance. Father, we thank You, Lord. That You're patient. Thank You that You're patient with us. Father, we thank You for Christ. Thank You so much for paying for our sin on the cross. Thank You for not Sending me to hell. Father, I pray that we would that we would be humbled by your patience. We pray that you would save our loved ones. loved ones who don't know you. We pray for them. Pray that they would come. Father, thank You so much. Thank You for this church, Lord. Thank You for a group of people who just want to worship You and love You all of our imperfections. And we love Your Word. Lord, none of us have it figured out. We're learning. We're being sanctified, God, and You're even patient with that. We just thank You, Lord. We love You. And Lord, we ask You to bless the preaching of Your Word, Lord, to the salvation of Your people. In Christ's name, Amen.